As we come back together, we are going to continue our series in the book of Proverbs. And for those of you who are joining us, perhaps for the first time, you might not realize this, but Proverbs is a very unique book of the Bible. It doesn't come in paragraphs per se. Well, most of it doesn't. There are parts, but most of it doesn't. And we've been tackling Proverbs thematically. And today, we'll look at this concept of treasure. Now, Proverbs specifically talks about treasure, but it also talks about money, wealth, riches. So all of those things, in some respect, are synonyms of one another. But the way that I want to view it is in line with the idea of treasure, because I think treasure, first of all, it's spoken about Jesus in the New Testament, and it really is what we're looking for when it comes to understanding what we own, what our possessions are like. For most of the world, treasure is material. It's physical. It's tangible. It's something you own, something you touch. And the fact of the matter is, is that while it is something we physically touch, it's not necessarily what we desire ultimately. Because whether it's gold or cash or stocks, uh, all of those things in and of themselves are valueless. It's what it provides for you that is so significant for us. It's what we desire. And so we have to remember that cash is but a piece of paper. I had a billion dollar cash note from Zimbabwe that someone gave me uh, many years ago, and I still have it. it it's that billion dollars is the paper's worth more than it. And the reason why it's not worth anything is because a government is unable to support it. So anything that we own, it's simply because someone has determined, society, culture has determined that there's value in something that we have. And so let us not forget that. You know, at kids camp, we handed out some cash. It was fake cash, but it actually looks very real. And the only way, other than the paper itself, the way you can tell the difference is it has a stamp on it that says, this is not cash. And so the kids, when, they, when we would hand it out to them, they didn't know what to do with it because if they didn't read it, they thought it was real. And it is real if you think it's real, but it's not real if you know it isn't. I mean, that's sort of the value of money and possessions and what we own and treasures is that it's all about how we determine wealth and money to be. Materials and materialism is sort of a picture of that idea. And I really appreciate the way Tim Keller describes the struggle of materialism when he says this. Materialism has the power to get you to choose a job. Not one that you love, not one that you're good at, not one that helps people, but one that just makes you money. You do it because it'll get you to a certain status in life. And you choose a job on the basis of that for five to 10 years, the adrenaline can keep you going. And then after a while, you just find yourself empty inside. I do wonder how many of us have a particular field of work that we actually don't desire to do at all, but it is the status of it. And so whether we realize it or not, materialism, this 
wrestling with what we own, what we possess, we so easily shift into this idea of this is who we are. This is our core identity. In the book of Proverbs, it speaks much about this topic, this topic of what we own, what we possess, should not, must not be who you are, and yet we struggle with it. And it's this, this concept of treasure. And so with it, I'd like to look at three aspects of this treasure from the book of Proverbs. First, enduring treasure. Second, true treasure. And third, better treasure. First, let's look at enduring treasure from Proverbs 8, 18 through 21. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. You look at that verse, these few verses from Proverbs, God is telling us that we should trust him, that he can satisfy you like nothing else can, like no one else can, and that everything else ultimately is empty. If we place our hope and trust in anything other than God, we will be disappointed. But tragically, we buy into this deception that, no, we can find happiness in something that we own, something that we possess. Take, for example, a very obvious one, clothing. Clothing is something that we care about what is a label. And, you know, it's interesting. It used to be that everyone would sort of flaunt the label so clearly until it became uncool to flaunt the label. And so now you hide the label, but you still want the label to be shown in some fashion or form. And this idea has been known throughout. And yet, what is a label when it comes to clothing? I don't know if any of you know, but Lululemon, Under Armour, Athleta, Land's End, Duluth Trading Company, and Walmart, they all source yoga pants and other exercise clothing from one company in Thailand, in Taiwan, called Eklat Textile Company Limited. Meaning, if you have a pair of Lululemon yoga pants, you are wearing Walmart pants. Just a different tag. Oh, also, you've paid a lot more money for it. But it's the same thing, essentially. I know, that's really discouraging, isn't it? Um, if you bought clothing from Saks Fifth Avenue, Lord & Taylor, Bass Pro Shop, you also essentially bought the same clothing from Sears, Kmart, Primark, and Stage Stores, because all their t-shirts, pants, dresses, and apparel all come from Nortnit Industries in Bangladesh. Just different labels, same clothes and different price tags. This is just a real, I could have given you a huge list of this from beauty products, electronics, toys, etc. The They're all sourced at, at the same factories, but with different labels. But pricing is dramatically different. Why is it that we actually care about the label so much? Because society says, you get that label, it means something. There is value to it. There's a reputation to it. And the reputation says, you're someone special, you're wealthy, you're well put together, you're a professional, and people want to be like you. That's what good labels mean. The pants, the clothing, 
is no different than Walmart or Sears or Kmart or Primark. And the deception is one that the world has presented before us. This is the deception. What you own is who you are. What you possess defines your identity. And so we've bought into that sham. We, the whole world has, and everyone in this room pretty much has. We all buy into it. If I see you at Walmart shopping for clothing, I'll think, you, you listened to the sermon today. <laughs> you got it. You decided. You know what? No more Athleta. I'm getting the Walmart yoga pants for, you know, 100% less or whatever, 100,000% less. The, this deception is so easy to fester into our hearts because our hearts place our identity, our sense of salvation, our lordship, not in Christ, but in this world. The point of Proverbs 8, 18 through 21 is that all these treasure, treasures, they do not last. They do not satisfy. Look at it again, Proverbs 8, 18. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. So the challenge is that we have decided that they're not with Christ. They're with the world. They're with commercials. They're with certain beauty products, certain types of items and clothing and cars, and all of that determines who you are. And it's very easy to get sucked into that idea. Proverbs 13, 11 warns us, wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. That is to say that a person who learns that Hard work, persistence, perseverance, faithfulness over little things, over little time, they will be the one who will increase wealth. But the person who's looking for the quick fix, the way to gain money at its fastest and not willing to do the hard work. I, have, uh, I know people who are heavily involved in playing poker for a living because the ultimate goal is I want to win it fast. Perhaps the next Powerball comes along and you want to win the lottery. Be mindful of the fact that anytime you gain something quickly, you gain wealth. If you have not built in the discipline and character of gaining it, you will be unwise in spending it. And it will take over your soul. Sort of the point of what Proverbs is saying, trust him. Trust that Christ is your hope. It's not wealth and possessions. And the way we show it is by faithfulness at work, by laboring for something. There is something taught in the process of gain when we are laboring for it. Why is it that credit card companies target college students? Because college students, they've just come out of high school. They've never owned a credit card in their whole life, many of them. And by the time they hit college, they think, wow, I, all I need to do is fill out this application and I get free money out of it. Anyone ever think that way in college? Come on, raise your hand. Okay, I did. One, two, thank you for your honesty. Besides me, one other person in this room. And I got an American Express card when I was, you know, was right in the middle of class. In my classroom, there was this little stand that said American Express. And no one ever taught me how to use credit cards. And so 
apply it, and boom, it came. And so the first thing I did was I spent money on clothing because I had to look a certain way to be accepted by people. I paid for everyone's meals all the time because I said, well, I, I want to be the person who's generous and treating everyone. When it came time to pay the bill, it said $10 minimum monthly payment, even though I was almost maxed out. And I thought, oh, this is great. I only have to pay $10 for all that I've spent. Well, lo and behold, after a certain time, American Express said, we're taking that card back and you owe us this much money. And it took seven years to overcome that debt. So there's a lot of foolishness that comes in wealth that has gained way too quickly and is not thought through. So for those of you who are high school students and college students, do not buy into the lies that, well, especially in our world where fast money means everything will be great. No, exactly the opposite. The discipline of faithfulness is really critical. Now, the reason why that's important is because of Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8 says, you have to trust him with everything. And he is your treasure, not the treasure itself, not the possession. He has to be your treasure and he will provide. See, riches and honor, when it's rooted in something that is not permanent, will eventually let you down. Eventually it will. It might be a year later. It might be 10 years later. It might be with your last breath that you take on earth. But eventually, if you place your hope in your possessions, in what you own, in your reputation, in your career, then one day that's all gone forever and ever. And the tragedy is that a lot will be called account for you. You will be held accountable for what you have done, for how you have invested your life. And if it is in something that fades and rots away and is destroyed, well, then there's inherent danger to it. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is saying this world and its possessions, it will eventually fade. It can be destroyed. Someone can steal it. If you want to know what it feels like to have something stolen, just put something in the backseat of your car and drive to San Francisco and you'll understand what that feels like. It, it just do not count on those things that we think are going to last. Um, it, it doesn't. But we find out here that you will never lose the treasure that Christ gives you. The Apostle Paul tells us why. Because he says that we were bought with a price. You and I, if we are in Christ, if you believe in Jesus, your price was his shed blood. That price is so high that there is no way he will ever let you go. You know, it cost him everything. So how could he ever turn his back towards you? How could he ever forget you, release you? He's always there by your side. He never lets you go. The promise that I will never leave you nor forsake you in Hebrews 13, 6 is rooted on a cost. So grace is not free, it's costly. 
But it is free in the sense that it didn't cost us anything. It cost Jesus everything. On that basis, then, we know that he will never let us be stolen from him. We can't lose him. We won't somehow forget him. He's always there. And your freedom, your reputation, your identity, it's been purchased with a price. Everything else in this world, the price of it just changes. That's the concept of inflation. If you were to stick uh, $10,000 underneath your mattress and wait 20 years, that money decreases over that time, right? But with Christ, his shed blood never decreases. There's no such thing as inflation when it comes to Jesus. Everything else loses its value except for Christ. An example of this is marriage. You know, when you get married, two people, they perhaps uh, rent a small apartment, and it's a one-bedroom, nothing fancy, and they're both working, they have time for one another, spend and enjoy life together. But slowly, as you start making friendships with other married couples, you start seeing, well, some people are saving up and they're buying their first home. And so then you start thinking, well, I need to do that too. But you don't have the means to do it, so you get a second job. And, and so your spouse gets a second job. You start working so hard and you actually make it. You save up, buy another home. It's a bigger home. It's a nicer home. And you have children now. And but you're working so hard to pay off the mortgage. And then you want to make sure that your children have everything that they need because everyone else has everything that they need. My children have to have everything that they need. It's not just what they need, it's what they desire. And so it just keeps on going. And as it goes, we say, well, this three-bedroom home is not big enough anymore. It's not nice enough. Let's go to the four-bedroom home and the five-bedroom home and the nicer car. And we're working harder than ever before. We never see each other because now we have a, a, a job that we've decided in order to pay for everything, I need to labor longer. And I don't have time for my family. I don't have time for ministry. I don't have time for the Lord. All I have to do is I have to just provide. I have to be the provider. And then slowly but surely, as time goes by, we fade off. It's, it's tragic that so many couples, and I know you know this story of couples who stay together for the kids, but as soon as the children are grown, divorce, separation. Why is that the case? How did it happen that way? It doesn't just happen. It happens because of treasures. The treasure of deciding that this house that I want and desire is going to make me happy. And once I get that, everything will be okay in my life. And that desire, that persistence of that uh, passion and pursuit leads me to an incredible unhappiness. That doesn't just fade there. And then for those of you, many of you are hitting, maybe not many of you, but some of you are hitting close to retirement or in retirement, and you're thinking and planning for that time. And far too many people at that point are still have the same mindset, the mindset of, oh, I can't wait to not work, and so then I can really have fun with my life, have a treasure in my life. Let's call it for what it is. It's a treasure. 
And so the thinking is, as long as I can do what I want, that will make me utmost happy. But that's a, not a treasure, that's a tragedy. Because there will come a day where that person will realize all is not. It doesn't make you happy. There is an emptiness to it. Two people watching a, on a huge TV screen, Netflix, every day in a big house, every once in a while going on vacation and going to go play golf, we think to ourselves, that's the dream. That's the treasure. But start living that life and you see what a tragedy that is because it's always ultimately empty. And if you don't think that's the case, there will come a day where when you take your last breaths, you will realize, is that what I live for? Is that my greatest hope? So if you place your hope in money, possessions, that's your savior and Lord. That's your identity. And you will be enslaved by your anxiety because people who live for that are always worried they're going to lose it or are worried because everyone else is gaining it and you don't have it. And so anxiety, emptiness, despair, it just grows in our hearts. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, you cannot serve God in money. Who is the Lord of your life? Is it your treasure or is it Christ? Your treasure will always let you down. Christ will never let you down. Secondly is true treasure. In Proverbs 10, 22, the writer says, the blessing of the Lord makes rich and he adds no sorrow with it. Proverbs 10, 22 reminds us that any and all blessing we have in this life is not a result of our, of our hard labors or chance. It's the Lord who ultimately provides. Ultimately, he gives you blessing. He allows you to have what you have. And when we know that to be true and we trust him, here's the promise. He adds no sorrow with it. That's, again, how you know this is from the Lord. The fact of the matter is that God is not against you from owning something. He, as we see in scripture, so often blesses even materially. And we see that through many different saints throughout scripture. But the difference is that they were also always ready to lose it and that would not destroy them. There was a contentment that rested deep within Christ and Christ alone, as we just sang about. And so the apostle Paul in Philippians 4, 11, 12 says this, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation, whatever situation, I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And the secret of that is knowing that Christ is your true treasure, not the treasure itself. That Jesus is what makes everything worthwhile to you. And everything that is a gift is worth celebrating and enjoying. But if you should lose it, you still treasure Christ. And the test of that is what happens when you do lose it? How will you respond? There are many different treasures. If you have a beautiful home, praise God for it. But if that home burns down or you lose it because of a financial crash or you've lost all your money or you have lost your job, can you still praise God? Can you still say, 
God, you're good. I trust you. If you can't, not saying it's not a struggle, but if you cannot say that, then you actually worship the possession as Savior and Lord, not Christ. If you have a child and you're a growing family, what a blessing a growing family is. But that growing family is simply a, a blessing of the Lord. It's the treasure of Christ providing a gift for you. If God should take that gift away, if one of your children were to get a dreaded disease, will you still see God as good? That he's still someone to be worshipped and praised? If that is the case, then you worship Christ above all. He is your treasure. But if you are you solely lack faith and say, I don't want Christ at all, then you always knew that in the end you worshipped the person rather than Christ. You worship the gift rather than the giver of the gift. When we are still happy in him, no matter the circumstance, then we know what is our greatest treasure. And so contentment is a big part of that. If we're grumbling and complaining in our hearts of not having enough, or if we're envious and jealous, all of that indicates that actually we love the treasure of the world rather than the treasure of Christ. Listen to what Paul says as a reminder for us on how to fight against loving possessions and making those things treasures rather than the true treasure of Christ. Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, 17 and 19, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. The rich in this present age, who does that refer to? Elon Musk? No, it refers to me and you. Really, relative to the rest of the world, everyone in this room is rich. What are the rich who place their hopes not in the uncertainty of riches, but on God? What do they look like? They are generous and ready to share. Ready means preparing, looking for opportunities, being proactive about it. Everyone is generous in their mind. We think we're generous. But unless you're actively looking, how can I be a blessing to others with my material possessions? And my friends, that is the greatest test, you might say, of where your treasure is. If you are not proactively trying to be generous, if we're always being perhaps to use a not nice word, cheap and stingy and self-centered with our resources, we treasure those things. They, we have to admit, those, that's our savior, it's our Lord. We should bow down and worship our bank accounts. But the, the rich person in Christ is always ready to share. They're always thinking, how can I be a blessing? How can I treat someone? They're thinking, how, how can I encourage someone? Oh, I, I notice they're a person of need. I want to provide, maybe it's finances. Maybe it's a home. 
Maybe it's a, just a dinner. Just thinking about ways of being a blessing. And so if we are wanting Christ to be known, then we have to consider how are we ready to share. This is throughout church history, you've seen this. Let me just give you one example from church history, one example of that we know. Dia Carson tells the story of Roman Emperor Julian the Apostate. He was a persecutor of Christians, and he tried everything he could to stop the gospel from advancing. He couldn't. You know why? Because it was the Christians who were generous. And this is what he said. He said, we ought to be ashamed. He was telling his officials, not a beggar is to be found among the Jews and those godless Galileans. By the way, he meant Christians. They feed not only their own people, but ours as well, whereas our people receive no assistance whatever from us. Christians are generous. So who they are. We're generous because we have experienced generosity. And I praise God, Wellspring, you are a generous church. I really believe that. But we can still grow in it. We're ready to share, but we should grow in our ability to be sharing. And I saw this in Africa so clearly, and many of us have with the hands care workers. I think many of you know the story. The care workers, they're not people of wealth. They're just as poor as the orphans they're caring for. In other words, these women, usually women, um, they're usually a widow, and they have, say, a plate of beans, and they have four children, and what they will do is they will go outside of, and this is how they were even designated as care workers, is Hans was looking for people like this, and they would go and find four other children who have no parents, and they'd say, come into our, my house, which is a hut, right, with nothing in it. And so they bring them in, and they would take this plate of beans that all they have is that for food, and they would give some to each of their children, and then to the orphans that they've collected and sharing. Not out of their plenty, but out of their want. And the world notices. I know I did. And also the people around the, where they live, they notice these Christians are crazy. You don't have a lot in your sharing. Why would you do that? Because someone has shared with you in your need. And that someone is Jesus. Listen to Romans 8.32 where Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? This verse, you must memorize it. It needs to be in your soul because it is a fighter verse against our inherent nature to delight and make our possessions our treasure, our Savior and Lord. And so this constant reminder that God has graciously given me everything. He's not withheld his own son. If he's not withheld his own son, then how could I, as a believer of Christ, be selfish with my possessions? How can I, if one of my children takes maybe a car that I just bought and waxed and, and then they drive it and scratch all the way through and I, the first thing I do is just rail on them this didn't happen, actually. It might. The, the only way I can not do that is by remembering a text like this. By remembering, oh yeah, God graciously gave his own son for me. 
also, how can I be generous with what I have, even if I don't have much? Or some of you say, I don't have much. But I tell you, in this room, we are wealthy. We are. But we have to consider, how do we care for one another? Are we generous? If we have Christ, we must be. Lastly, the better treasure of knowing Christ. Chapter 15, verse 16 in Proverbs. Better is a little fear with the, of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Chapter 16, 16 of Proverbs. How much better to get wisdom than gold. To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. The word better in these Proverbs also means cheerful. And it's that one can have very little and be very cheerful if they have Christ. You can have a lot and be cheerful if you have Christ, and you can have very little and be cheerful if you have Christ. I've seen it in Africa. I've seen it here, and I praise God for that. Proverbs continually presses this theme, though, that if you don't have Christ and you place your treasure in the world, get ready for trouble and stress Proverbs 28, 25, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Proverbs eleven eighteen, the wicked earns deceptive wages, but one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. People who think riches and wealth and honor gains them happiness, they will reach the day where they will see how foolish that is. It might be the last day of their life, but it will come. The man who works tirelessly to provide what their family wants, but then dies of a heart attack because of his constant anger and worries and stress at work, that's a life of strife, a life of trouble. How many poor attitude fathers there are who bring strife to their marriages, to their children, but live in beautiful homes? There's a trade-off and a cost. Every time you place your hope and treasure into this world, you pay a price. The price might not be money, but it is your soul. And if you think that pursuing my reputation, my fame, my fortunes, and that is your ultimate, you're paying a price. And it will be paid eventually, one day. Do you know there's a better treasure in this world? than this world promises. It's a treasure that cannot be stolen. The only treasure that is truly better than gold, a better investment than any type of investment. It is one that will never let you down. And it's a treasure that Paul speaks of in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. He says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. When Jesus was eternally with the father before the incarnation, before he became flesh and dwelt amongst us, he was as wealthy as you possibly can be. We're not talking about money because money again and wealth is only what it provides, satisfaction, joy, status, reputation, uh, a sense of worth and value, all of that Christ had to its infinite worth. And it was in no way ever going to be lessened. It was infinite in its value. 
And so what Paul is saying here is that he was rich in that way. He lacked nothing. But for your sake, he became poor. Whose sake? My sake. Your sake. If you believe in Jesus, he became poor so that you can have a lasting forever treasure, so that you can be rich, so that you can have a new identity, so that you can have satisfaction, so that you're not bound to pittances, little trinkets, so that we're not sucked into, oh, let me have this designer brand. Let me have a purse that has two letters, LV, on it, and that's going to make my life really significant now, or a certain type of car, a certain type of home. And, and the Lord is saying, you're buying into pittances. You're buying into lies and deceptions and shams. If you've ever been taken, uh, you know, you, I, I get a lot of phishing calls and texts, tons of them, right? And uh, imagine if you actually bought into it and you lost all your money, how, how much of a waste you would feel. Well, the Lord is saying, He's paid a price for you. You're very valuable. You just have to believe it. And if you believe it, you will find the deepest satisfaction and joy possible. Don't buy into the lies of this world. It does not last. The gospel is the good news. Jesus became poor so that you would become rich. You are rich. That's not just a saying, it's true. You are his treasure the apple of his eye. Everything about you is special to him. If you are bought blood, because he paid a price for you. And so you don't ever have to try to, in some way, get some sort of status from what people think about you or what the world says is right or good. Trust him. Be content with him. So be generous. Generous. Hold on to your treasures loosely. Don't grieve as one's without hope when you lose something, but grieve, grieve, but grieve as one with a forever hope and know that Jesus is your forever treasure. He will never let you down. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for the promise of your word, the price that was paid for us. Help us to see, oh Jesus, that we have bought into a, a deception far too easily, a sham. And may we instead come to see the blessing of having a forever treasure in Christ Jesus alone. Thank you that you have paid a price for us. And because of that price, we will never be disappointed when we believe in the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord. As we come to this table, O Lord, May we do so with a lot of rejoicing that, that we have become rich, but you also have become poor for our sake. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.